Today's sermon is called Paul's Conversion. Now, I've, I've mentioned this a while back, but when you think of the word hope, um, I think that it has a different meaning than how it was intended in the Bible. Because when we think of the word hope, and for us, we, we think of it more as an improbability, something almost that we know isn't going to happen. And I, I hope that I get a million dollars, right? I hope that we win the Super Bowl. Right? It's something that is so you know, almost a, a dream-like thing in the future, right? But the thing is, in the Bible, hope is never used in that way. When you think of the word hope, or when you say the word hope in the Bible at least, it's a very definite, very real, and very concrete understanding. And the reason why is because hope isn't based on some type of worldly possession, it's not based on some temporal thing, it's based on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so when we say, I hope, it's a real definite and tangible hope, because our hope is in Jesus Christ and eternal salvation. And the reason I'm saying this is because for us, when we think of hope, we can really hold on to who Jesus Christ is within any type of circumstance that we are in. No matter how good or no matter how bad your circumstance is, we are able to not only endure but to thrive in those circumstances because of our hope in Jesus. You know, in the 1950s, there was an experiment done at Johns Hopkins. And it was an experiment that would never be allowed today. But it was an experiment where there was a man, uh, his name was Richter, Kurt Richter. And he had, a, he had a jar of water and he would put rats into that jar of water. And he would time how long the rats would swim until they would drown. And so he would time them again and again and again, and he would see that these, there would be rats who would be naturally very strong, but all in all, at the end of the day, these rats would end up dying after maybe a minute of swimming, of treading water. And he was confused as to why. And so he switched up his tactic a little bit, and so he got a new batch of rats, and he put them in the water again. But right before they were about to die, he grabbed them and he put them in his hand, held them for a couple seconds, and then put them back in the water. Those rats ended up swimming for 30 to 40 more minutes. Not just one minute, not just two minutes, but 30 to 40 more minutes. You see, what we found out, what they found out, was that when the rats realized that they were not doomed, that their situation was not lost, they were able to continue to swim. Now, church, I'm not saying y'all are rats, but I am saying that we have an eternal hope that is greater than anything else here. And many times in our situation and how difficult life gets, we forget that. We forget how good God is. We forget how powerful the Lord is. We forget what he's done in our lives. And when that happens, we will only be able to survive a minute to two minutes max in the difficulties of life. And what I think I'm called to do here, what I think the church is called to do in this new year, is to simply remind you 
that your hope is not based upon something here, it's based upon Jesus Christ, and you are not only able to endure, but you're able to thrive in your circumstances, no matter how difficult they may seem. I know that for many of us, this past year may not have seemed like the year of breakthrough, it was more like the year of brokenness. It was the year, of, for many of us, of waiting. Waiting and yet nothing happening. It was the year of mistakes. It was the year of guilt. It was the year of regrets. It was the year of loneliness. And yet, church, what I want to remind you is that even though you may feel broken, it doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. In fact, the Bible says specifically that our brokenness allows us to be used in a greater way for God that he would allow brokenness in our lives so that he can expand the way that he wants us to be used. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And there will be times when he allows you to continue in the midst of your suffering in order to grow you and shape you into more of the person that he wants you to be. And church, the reason I'm saying this is because in this passage, we have the conversion of Paul. And it's a very simple sermon that I'm going to preach today because what we're going to see is that after Paul becomes saved, after Paul experiences who Jesus Christ is, his life doesn't become easier. In fact, it gets much, much harder. However, for Paul, he never loses hope. And so I only have two points. The first is when you are saved, you will have times of hardship. And secondly, when you are saved, you will grow to love the church. That's all. Now, let me read to you verses 3 to 5. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You see, when Paul meets Jesus, the first thing that he says is, who are you, Lord? The reason why he says this is because before Paul had met Jesus Christ, he believed that God worked in a very certain way. Before Paul met Jesus Christ, he believed that God would only work in the way that Paul had believed he should work. He had a very specific view of God's actions and how God should work for him. And that was the reason why he was so angry with Christianity, because it didn't fit his mindset of how God should work. However, the moment that Paul meets Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ completely breaks his paradigm of how God should work. And so that was why he stops trying to lead and just simply follows after the Lord. That's why his first question wasn't, why didn't you do it this way? Why are you living this way? Why did you come back this way? His first question was simply, tell me who you are, Lord. Just tell me. I will follow, just tell me. Paul lays down everything, and he accepts Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, at this point, you would think 
that because Paul accepts Jesus Christ, that God would begin to show more of himself and help Paul to grow as a Christian by putting more believers around him, by helping him with a support system, by doing all of these things. However, that's not the case. In fact, we read that Paul in the very beginning was not even trusted by the church. Verse 26 says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. You see, the early church didn't even trust Paul. They weren't even willing to let him in. They thought that he was a fake. They thought that he was lying. And so church, what this means is that after Paul became a Christian, he was obviously not accepted by the religious leaders, but at the same time, he was not accepted by other believers. He was completely alone. Being a Christian doesn't mean that God is going to line up everything exactly the way that you think it should be. Instead, being a Christian means that you will go through times of confusion. It means that you will go through times when you are belittled, when you are looked down on, when you are alone. But church, the question is, how are you going to respond to those situations? Because for Paul, at least, even though he was so alone, even though he was so dejected, maybe, he responded with boldness. You see, the, when you look at the next few verses, you can see how often the word boldly is used. How at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. How he went out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. See, here's the main thing. Even though things didn't make sense, even though he may have been lonely, Paul understood that Jesus was Christ that Jesus was worth living his life for. And so whether things were good, whether things were bad, he was going to be bold for the Lord. Because Paul knew that there were some things worth sacrificing everything for. And for Paul, he knew that that was Jesus Christ. See, there's a story of a mother who had parked on a hill. She had put her emergency brake on and everything, and she had three children in the back. And she got out of the car and she realized that she turned back. That for some reason the parking brake stopped working and the car began to reverse. And she realized that if the car continued to go down, that it would go straight into traffic with her three kids in the car. And so what she did is she threw her body underneath the front wheels to stop the car, to do anything that she possibly could. And she ended up stopping the car, but she ended up breaking her ribs. Her, she ended up breaking three ribs, having internal bleeding, and getting hospitalized. Now, it may seem crazy, but any parent would understand that there are some things that are so important that they're worth giving everything for. And just as a parent would be willing to do that for their child, Maybe God is asking us the same exact things in those worst moments of our lives. He's saying, look, what is most important in your life? Is this Bible, is this thing something that you are worth 
giving everything for? How much do you actually believe this? And it's going to be in times of difficulty. It will be times when you are stripped of everything. It's going to be times when you have to decide what is right and what is wrong, that God is going to come up to you and he's going to say, look, you've been taught this, you've been preached this, you have read this, now do you really believe it? This is where the rubber hits the road. And it's going to be in those situations when he is asking you, are you really a Christian? Do you truly believe in what I have done? Do you truly believe in the Bible? Church, how true is the gospel in your life? You're not going to learn that through the good times. You're not going to learn that when everything is going your way. You're going to learn that through suffering. I know, I know that we don't think of suffering in the same sentence as being saved. But when you look at the conversion of Paul, man, it's so clear that when, Paul, that when God saves Paul, his salvation is directly connected to the suffering that he will endure later. Verses 15 and 16 says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he will suffer for the sake of my name. When God says he is a chosen instrument of mine, he's saying that Paul is a vessel for him. Now, a vessel is just an empty thing. A vessel doesn't have any power of its own. It simply just holds whatever is inside of it. Whatever power is inside a vessel, that's where the vessel gets its power from. Church, our power doesn't come from ourselves. Our power comes from our identity as, our, as children of God. And the Bible tells us that one way that we become true vessels, that one way we form our identity in God is going to be through difficulty. It will be through suffering. For Paul, it's clear that it was through his brokenness that God was able to shape him and work through him. Saul the Pharisee was an enemy of God. Paul the broken man was one of the greatest evangelists in the world. God works through brokenness, church. You know, in the 17th century, there was this famous Japanese um, pottery technique. It was so famous, in fact, that people from all over the known world at the time would come to go buy it. And what they would do is they would make something out of clay, and they would do all the same exact steps as every place else, but at the very end, they would do something very different. Because they would get the completed bottle, they get the completed clay, and they would break it on a rock. And when they would break it, they would re-piece it together, but they would glue it using melted gold. And because it was inlaid with gold, the value of the clay would be infinitely more after it was broken and restored. And church, do you see that when Paul talks about his life, he is saying the exact same thing. He's saying that, look, God was unwilling to use me in my unbroken state. That God was unwilling to use me in my hardened of hearts. And so what he had to do 
was he had to put me in situations where I had to break, where I had to be broken apart, where I had to be shattered so that he could inlay me with the gold of grace and of love that only he could give. And because of that, because of those things, Paul was able to preach with more grace. Paul was able to give more love. Paul was able to serve in capacity in a way that he would never be able to serve before. It was through the difficulties that he was able to do those things. You see, A.W. Tozer, he says it this way, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. You know, in 2 Corinthians 12, God, he speaks to Paul, and he says that, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Before he was saved, Saul was this hardened Pharisee. He was named after a king. But after he was saved, you see, Paul, he went through so much difficulty and yet was used so powerfully by God. Do you know what the word, do you know what the name Paul actually means? It's simple, it just means small. Church, I, I want us to keep this in mind because of everything that I know has happened in 2020. And, and I think that, man, it's such a good reminder for us to really rely upon how good and how great God is. It's to show us that, man, as much as we can prepare, as much as we can do, as powerful as things may seem for us, they are nothing in comparison to how good and how great God is. Because in a second, in a moment, our plans, our finances, our homes, our business can fall apart. We've seen this to be true. In a moment, our health can disappear. And yet what we trust in and what we put our faith in is the everlasting and true foundation of Jesus Christ. And so I hope that this is our hope as well as we move forward into 2021. Don't put your hope and don't put your faith in things of this world for they're going to fall apart. Put your hope and put your faith in Jesus Christ. The last thing I want to say is, is something really short. It's that if you're saved... Church, you will grow to love the church. Let me read to you verses 4 to 5. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You see, when you first read this, it can almost sound like a mistake. Because Saul had been attacking and killing other people. He had been attacking and killing the early church. And yet when Jesus approaches him, blinds him, he says, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting the church? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting them? He says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus doesn't see the church as an it. It doesn't see the church as a building. He sees it as himself. That's why in Ephesians 5.25, Jesus calls the church his bride. And he relates his relationship with the church as a married couple. You see, church, when you are saved, there is no separation between our love for Jesus and our commitment to the church. If you are saved, 
then the church has to be a priority in your life. And I say this with so much love for you, but also as a challenge to us, because I know that there are so many of us who know and love the Lord and yet are only marginally involved within the church. And I know that can be hard because in our culture, it's so consumer-based. We're so used to receiving rather than giving. And it's one of the reasons why I, man, I tell anyone who is moving away and they're asking for recommendations for a church, I never, I almost never give the recommendation of a megachurch in that area. Because a megachurch, it's so easy just to receive and receive and receive and never have to give. And yet that is the complete opposite of the Bible. You see, in this passage, Jesus is so clear with Paul that Paul is persecuting him. The Christians Paul is killing, the church Paul is attacking is a direct reflection of Jesus Christ. And so for you as well, my Christian brothers and sisters, as you think about 2021, as you think about what is to come in your relationship with Jesus Christ, man, I, I pray and I hope and I encourage and I challenge you, get involved in the church. Grow your faith. It will grow in leaps and bounds in that way. Life groups are starting back up starting this next week. Prayer meeting is starting back up this coming week. We're going to be having the membership classes coming up. We're going to be having discipleship classes coming up. This is your time to get as involved as possible. It doesn't matter if you're here only for six weeks. It doesn't matter if you're here for a year. It doesn't matter if you've been here for 10 years. It's time to get involved now. I know, church, that for some of us, the church may have hurt us before or it may have embarrassed us. But guess what? Man, the church has embarrassed and has hurt Jesus too, and yet Jesus is still by his side. And if Jesus is still committed to the church and he's still committed to us, then shouldn't we do the same? You know, Paul, he was saved, and yet he went through this time of confusion, he went through suffering, and he went through turmoil, and yet for him, he still had hope. He still had hope because his hope was greater than his suffering. And his hope was in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Because in that moment, he realized that all that Stephen had said, that missionary Stephen, that man, that martyr Stephen, had said was all true. That Jesus Christ had come to this earth. That he had lived a perfect life that he had died a sinner's death for Paul and for you and for me. And yet he rose again on the third day, defeating death, defeating sin, and defeating Satan. What a great story. What a beautiful thing. And now Jesus Christ is simply waiting for us in heaven so that when we do pass away from this earth, man, that's not the end, that's only the beginning. And Paul, he knew that. He realized that. And that's why for him to live here, man, was nothing. It was to gain. Everything here was good. As, as terrible as things may be, man, things were good here. Because he knew that the moment he passed away, he would be with Christ.
Church, is that your hope as well? Is that your belief as well? I really, man, I really hope that it is. Because in 2020, as things have progressed, man, I can't assume, I can't even imagine what 2021 will bring. I really hope that it's going to bring great things. But who knows? Who knows what 2021 will bring? But all I can say and all I know for a fact is that if you put your hope in Jesus Christ, you will be secure. You will be content in all circumstances. And you will be able not only to endure, but to thrive. And so hope in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray.